Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Today is a very special episode of Heat Rocks. And sure, we think all of our episodes of the show are very special. But in this case, as we told you all a couple weeks back, after today, we'll be taking a break for the rest of the year. So Morgan and I can recharge and retool and hopefully come back with the show in 2022 with renewed focus and energy. And just to be clear, as we've stressed, this is not a goodbye. It's a see you again soon. See you later. Uh, Oliver and I love doing this show and we have every intention to return. But yo, after recording nearly 200 original episodes on a weekly basis for almost four years, we needed some time off. But again, this is a small break, not a grand closing. To mark this occasion, though, we wanted to record an episode just dedicated to everything we've been thankful for during this first iteration of Heat Rocks. And so each of us, including our stalwart producer, Christian Duenas, came up with three things we've appreciated from our time on the show thus far. In fact, to kick this off, I'm going to start things off by just saying how much we've appreciated the work that Christian has put in to make this one of the best sounding podcasts out there. People have no idea how much time and effort Christian puts in behind the scenes to clean up our audio find ways to blend in music clips seamlessly, and what I think is one of his favorite things, find inventive ways to show how samples get transformed in the act of production. There's so many samples on here. Do you have a favorite sample? Well, that's a great one. It's the Whatnots Erasure, which is an incredible ballad to come out of that New Jersey Sylvia Robinson. Sylvia Robinson. uh, Production, 1970s production school. And and it's not simply that just using the sample, but as we were talking about earlier, just adding the keys, just the whole aspect of how it's produced, working with the sample, but not just relying on it, I think is is sublime. Please stop Tweaking the sample. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like playing along with it. It's like literally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Instead of on top of it. Like you kind of go in there, you're playing with them. Christian, I'm going to invite you to step to the mic and share one of your appreciations. Hello, everybody. So whenever I work on a show, I, I feel like I pick up on my host's lingo, which I think makes sense because like, it's you know, listening to everybody for hours and hours um, on a weekly basis, I think it's only natural to start sounding like you guys. Um, and I've picked up on a few Morgan isms <laughs> during my time here. Yep. Um, phrases that immediately come to mind are confession is good for the soul. Classic. Um, and saying, oh, Lord, uh, which I definitely never said either of those before working on the show. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I've also been watching a lot more movies since the beginning of the pandemic, and um, I've definitely noticed a lot more music cues and saying like to myself, like, oh, dang, how much did this cost? How much did this cost? <laughs> um, <laughs> recently, it happened with uh, uh, the Fear Street movies on Netflix. I was like, oh, this this sounds like a very expensive soundtrack. But anyways, um, more than that, I think 
the way that I describe music has been shaped by hearing both of you guys and and our guests talk about the music. I think now I focus a lot more on like how things make me feel mm. and what like it brings out in me. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. For an, uh, a specific example, Lay Fleur by Minnie Riperton. It's been brought up a couple times, three times from what I remember. Yeah, um, yeah. Renee, Renee Beaver, Patrice Russian, um, and Yola brought it up as her, you, you should listen to next. And one of those times, Morgan said that the song makes you feel like you're soaring. And I, I never really thought to describe it in that way. But when I listened to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the perfect way to describe that song because it does it does really feel like you're soaring. And it. That sticks with me in particular just because it's it's such a very specific way to describe a song, but it, it fits so perfectly. Mm. Come to My Garden is a liberating sensual experience, big, booming, and Baroque, sweeping with strings and choruses, a mythical place where melodies reside alongside bees and things and flowers. Shout out to Roy. I'd say it's a visual experience, but in my opinion, it's best listened to with your eyes closed. So you can soar through Centerville's rainy day and into Lay Fleur's. Morgan, how about you? I mean, one day when I eventually make my album, because you know it's coming, um, I'll be able to say this. I'd like to thank my producer, because everybody says that at the mic. Uh, but until that time, until I really drop that album, I have to start now by thanking Christian. Our recorded shows sounded amazing, have always sounded amazing. But one show in particular sticks out to me, and that's the show we did with Joey Dosick, uh, the Bill Withers Justment episode. Because yeah. most people didn't know how hood that show was. We were recording in the kitchen. <laughs> You know, the power went out, right? That's yeah, the power went the out. The power went out. Using uh, remote gear, yeah. He didn't panic. He just got us set up with the mics around the table. You know, the table looked like a ping pong table, but we were set up around, and we sounded so good. I was really sick. Hello, I'm Oliver Wong, and I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks and a Hood episode of Heat Rocks as we are taping in the kitchen. And then also, he is like Blenchella. He's like the king of blends out here. <laughs> Blanchella, like his fades and blends don't just sound amazing in the episode. I mean, because they do, but they really helped us to make comparisons between songs. Um, if someone thinks that comparison is a stretch, they won't think that anymore when he puts the blends together because you'll be able to draw those comparisons. And I love that about about him. There have just been some classic blends. There's so many that I could name. And one that stands out is I think we were talking with Saul Williams about Portishead. And um, he faded in Sade with a Portishead song. Could be sweet. I think it was the one. Um, and I like that. He, he acts as a producer, but he thinks like a DJ. I also remember that I was probably doing a lot of correlation between the way she was affecting me and the way Sade was mm. affecting yeah, me at yeah. this time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's true, actually. Close. That she was She was hitting me. In, in similar ways. I love Sade's writing. Her, I mean, her voice is extraordinary. Of course, but, yeah. But her writing is fucking extraordinary. She's like maybe my first favorite poet as a teenager mm. is Sade. 
And I'm, I'm, as you're saying this, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the discography, yeah. and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of closeness here. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And over the years, he's just consistently, I mean, from from the time he started working with us to now, he's consistently maintained great hair. Um, <laughs> his hair looks, I love his hair. You know what Morgan, I mean? Thank you so much for saying that. I, I work so hard on my hair. <laughs> it shows. It really, it shows. It really looks great. You, got, you guys can't see it, but his hair is just so fire out here. So In fuego. It really is. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I appreciate about, about our man. Um, and I'll start the second round. You know, there's a few things that I appreciate. One, having the opportunity to sit in a bite-sized studio. And you guys don't know how small the studio is, but it is young. We are in there mm-hmm. packed. And to be able to talk with with uh, music with artists whose work has been so precious to me. So getting yeah. to meet my idols. Like, for someone who who spent, you know, a long time in college listening to Plantation Lullabies, being able to sit across from Michelle Daguerre Cello and talk Prince. Mm-hmm. Raphael Sadiq, uh, Joy Gilliam, Fonte talking intro, which is one of my favorite albums. Braxton Cook, King, like you got to be kidding me. Iman Omari, uh, Miss Jack Davy, P.J. Morton, um, and of course my hero, uh, my DJ hero, which is uh, Garth Trinidad. So be- yeah. being that close to greatness and listening to them talk about great albums, I'll never forget those moments and how I felt inside being with someone who, you know, idolized a lot of these artists. I think to the laughs, like in listening back to some of these episodes, not I, I love laughing, but um, Oliver has a great laugh. So listening back to him laughing made me laugh in that moment. I'm still howling at the story that Wendy and Lisa told us about going to that really conservative party and playing America. In Orange County. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I could just so picture the looks on their faces and I just howled in that in that moment. I had a question about America because this is a song that when you look at a lot of I think both reviews at the time, but especially the kind of retrospective reviews of the album that have come out in, in more recent years, is people tend to identify America as I think the word that often use it's like an it's an unironic patriotic anthem and when i listen to it and especially when you read the lyrics huh? i'm like well i just disagree with that yeah because it seems to me that he is yes parts of it on paper seem to be anti-communist but then you read and it's like i kind of feel like he's actually making fun he is of it's all irony it's just yeah. ironic and uh, let me just give you a funny thing an anecdote that happened just last week we played a uh, the band the revolution played a corporate event down in Costa Mesa for a performing arts center and the screen opens and there's just these very conservative ball gowns and tuxedos they no one younger really than you know maybe 60 and lots of booze lots of dancing with holding your high heels in your hands mm-hmm. that kind of thing yeah and we opened with America. 
That's gangster. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. That's gangster. And you want to know what? Your reaction, laughing, was exactly what all of us did on stage. The first note of that beginning of it, and we looked out to the audience, we just started laughing at the irony of that moment because America is ironic. Yeah. And I can't forget the singers. I have always loved having singers sit down with us because it is so awesome to see them sing somebody else's work. And an example that comes to mind without question is Yola singing Jill Scott. I mean, she just gave me me chills in that moment because she bodied those songs. I was like, you need to be doing these covers out here. (laughs) Yola, I'm sorry I took yours off the table. Love me through it. No, because I was going to move to another one, and then you went for that one too. It was, oh, maybe we can take a cruise or listen to the roots, or maybe he's the batch of fruit, or maybe cry to the blues. And I was like, hello. And it's moderate. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, it was like, it was like, okay, I was already doing a breathing pattern the first time, right? So earlier in the song, a favorite moment, I'm going like this. <gasps> or maybe we can see a movie Or maybe we can see a play on Saturday Or maybe we can roll a tree And feel the breeze and listen to a symphony Or maybe chill and just be Or maybe, maybe we can take a cruise And listen to the roots Or maybe eat some passion fruit Or maybe cry to the blues Or maybe we can just be silent And I'm like, breathing patterns, people <laughs> And I'm also super proud of being able to amplify interludes and voicemail messages, okay? I put interludes and voicemail messages on my back. I didn't waver my support of them, right? Everybody knows. And I hope that I've influenced somebody out there to reconsider their album sequencing to include interludes and voicemail messages. I started to prepare an outro for this episode, but it's not over. We will be back. But uh, if you're out there and you're thinking about doing an album, Think hard. You need to get some kind of voicemail challenge popping on on TikTok because that's that's the only way to really really make it stick for this next generation. You know, <laughs> this is so true. Thank you, Oliver. That's just what I'm about to do. All right, those are my appreciations, Christian. What about you? For my second appreciation, I just wanted to shout out our listeners. I just really appreciate have, having such a really cool and supportive base of listeners. Um, we made this announcement that the show was ending a couple of days ago or uh, about a week ago from when we're recording this. And um, just seeing people say like, you introduced me to this album or this artist. Yeah. It, it's, it remind like, it, it's just really good reminder of like why we, like why I love doing this show, you know, because right. I am also right there with the listener, you know, like I, I've also been most of the time I don't know, the record that we're talking about um i've been introduced to so many albums and artists that i probably would not have heard of otherwise i think it's been established here that i or i never listened to prince before working on this show and now i think dirty mind is probably one of my favorite albums of all time and (laughs) i don't know if that would have happened otherwise you know um just the sheer amount of records that i've been listening to during my time here is just it's just crazy you know and it's really cool to just have this show just to like listen to an album in its entirety and like really sit with it for a week. And honestly, like <laughs> a lot of the albums that we've talked about on Herox, I've become so obsessed with that I've I actually own them on vinyl. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I bought them while I was like editing it. So I was like, yo, this is a really good album. And then I went to go buy like the Jaggy Shane or the the Parliament album or whatever. But um but anyways, it just it just feels really good to hear that we're introducing people to to new music. And it makes me appreciate mm-hmm. how like how music brings all of us together, you know. Um I feel like we've really accomplished like the thesis statement of this show you know like we're showing love to we're we're bringing more attention to an album that might not have gotten attention otherwise indeed what about you Odub? well i think christian speaks for all of us in terms of the appreciation of our audience and i'm sure we've talked about this before but just to reiterate it again you know i i grew up on radio and it i think what drew me and what why I got interested in podcasting was because in many ways it reminds me of the intimacy of radio and what it's like to hear a voice that comes across the ether and feeling some kind of kinship and connection in that. And now having been on the other side, um, you know, on the microphone side of it, just, you know, I think the difference is when I used to do radio it could be hard to tell if anyone was listening. And Morgan, I know you and I have both done late, late night radio before. And so maybe if we get like one call per three hour shift, that's the only way we know if anyone's listening. I guess the upside to doing a podcast in an, in an era of social media is the the kind of the immediacy of the response. Or if, even if it's not immediate, we just we hear from our our, our audience through Instagram through Twitter, et cetera. And there's something very gratifying about knowing that there is that connection in terms of, you know, they're out there listening to us. And we, we hope that we bring you some level of not just the musical education part that Christian's talking about, that's certainly part of it, but that you allow us into your ears, basically, right? That, that intimacy is there too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes really without saying we, we so, so, so appreciate, um, the audience. But for my actual, for my second appreciation, um, I was also like you, Morgan, turning towards the guests and specifically the ways in which I think my musical knowledge and, and appreciation has absolutely been shaped by so many of the conversations that we've had out, out here. And as much as I might want to claim that I'm an expert or fan of every album that we've talked about, as I've ad- admitted time and time again, many of the albums that we discuss uh, were completely new to me or at least I hadn't really spent a lot of quality time thinking about the record or the artist behind them. And as someone who champions the value of being intellectually curious throughout one's lifespan, I'm just so appreciative of what I learn from our guests. And, you know, I, I could pull out probably a gem from every single episode, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to give two examples that come to mind, especially from the past year. Um, the first was an episode that I wasn't even on. It was when Steve Arrington uh, joined Morgan and our guest co-host this year, Jocelyn Brown, to talk about heat waves too hot to handle and Arrington pointing out how Rod Temperton and the rest of the group um, had an influence on Michael Jackson's Off the Wall in ways in which perhaps uh, have not been fully credited. Heat wave came and spoke a whole new way. I don't think they get the credit for it as much because Rod's writing so many people's like, yo, we got to get on this thing with this Rod Temperton dude. And then off the wall happened with Michael Jackson and Mm. Michael sort of took that sound 
um, and put his magic and his greatness to it. Um, and then it sort of moved over into Michael Jackson. And you didn't yeah. forget about Heat Wave, but had that sound stayed with them, had Johnny not been hurt uh, in the car accident, perhaps that sound would have been more connected to Heat Wave for a longer time. As my second example, I was able to be in conversation with the great Dante Ross, producer, A&R man, etc., earlier this year to talk about the legacy of the late MF Doom. And during our conversation about KMD's Mr. Hood album, Dante had this just hilarious anecdote about how the drums on KMD's Hum Rush were originally something that he started with his SD50 production partner, Gamble. Uh, that is until Doom, aka Zevlev X, got his hands on it. <laughs> it's, it's such a fucked up story. Um, so I made the drums. Dale had used that record too, but I, I had the drums. And it's a Sly and the Family Stone drum loop. And I chopped it up. It's a mono drum loop. And I, I, did, some, I did some crazy surgery on it, me and Gamble. So I wasn't in the studio and Gamble played them the drums. He was like, oh, check this thing out, Dante and me. Like we, we chopped up these drums yesterday. And he was like, oh, I want to use that. And I wasn't in the studio and I, I showed up a few hours later and they had slowed those drums down and were making the song. And I, I was like, you don't fucking ask me like that's I have, I, I have that in another song. Like, I'm, you know, and, and doom was like, Oh, don't, don't worry about it. Cause, cause I used them better than you did anyway. And I was like, I fucking hate you, man. I was like, I'm going to get a sandwich. And I, I said this to, to Carmonica. We went and we, uh, we went to this spot we used to always go to, the Italian Food Center, and he was like, "Yo, Unc, I got you on a sandwich today." And like he was like, "Yeah, he was, that's that's like that's your royalty for for the song." And I was like, "I fucking hate you." And I was like, "If that's my fucking payment for the song, I'll, I wanted to get a Manhattan special coffee soda too." And I got a soda too, and I opened it, and it exploded. He's like, "That's what you get for being greedy." We'll be back with more of our Heat Rocks appreciation conversation after a brief word from our sibling Max Fun Podcasts. Stay tuned. Video games. Video games. Video games. You like them? Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. <laughs> In that case, you should check out Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback as three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases to scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work to fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Shire. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! Hey, I'm Janet Farney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery? Class of 95, we did it! Or a time of angst, disappointment, and confusion. We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess. The truth is, it was both. 
So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan-Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun. And we're back with our special Heat Rocks appreciation episode with Oliver, Morgan, and me, producer Christian. All right, so we each have one last round of appreciations, and Christian, why don't you start us off? Okay, I just appreciate the overall tone and the vibe of the show. Like, it's not at all judgmental about people's taste in music or like what they listen to or what they haven't listened to, more importantly. Um, maybe once or twice, we, we, uh, there was a little bit of judgment, but it's fine. <laughs> but, um, I feel like a lot of music geeks that I've met in my day lean more towards the Jack Black character on High Fidelity. Um, <laughs> like just a <the> mean nerd <laughs> that like likes to gatekeep and like, um, and I feel like we've done a really good job at introducing people to new music. And also being able to say that like, we're talking about this album and this is the first time I listened to it, you know, and that, and that not being a big thing, you know, but anyways, I, f- I feel like a lot of music discussion and especially online music discussion is just so toxic. <laughs> um, it's just just like a lot of people are like, how are you not up on this? Like just really keeping things away from people. Um, and it felt good to put out a show every single week that was just like put- putting people on some really good music. Um, even if not everybody was on the same page of like, this album is perfect. I love this album. It's like blah, blah, blah. We can all at least appreciate something about it, whether it be the the lyricism or the production or just seeing somebody else enjoy it, you know? Like it doesn't need to be for us. Like it, it could just be, it could just be a really good album for somebody else and we could appreciate that, you know? I was just going to add too that like, I always love that about us that we, despite whatever we know about albums, working on this show, I felt like I learned so much more about albums. Not oh, yeah. not every mm-hmm. album that got chosen was one that I was familiar with. And if I was right. familiar with it, someone came in and, and you know, put me up on, on, on new information. And so I yeah. felt like my mind has been blown a lot by things that I've learned learned and albums that I'd never heard before. Yeah. Some of my favorite episodes were uh, about albums that were really not part of what we usually talk about. My 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 mind goes to um, Minor Threat specifically, oh, just because yeah. it was just like it was such a different thing that we normally discuss. But it was it was really interesting to learn about the history of that album and and just gaining an appreciation for what they did for that scene and what they brought to it. There's this great documentary that came out in 1982 called uh, Another State of Mind. Mm. And they interview uh, Ian Mackay in D.C. And he kind of goes through his, like, ethos. And I guess we should say for those of who are listening who don't know what straight edge is. Sure. Um, it's the conscious choice to not drink or do drugs. And at that time, it was also like an anti-one-night stand You're right. kind of thing. The term dates back to this album. I I don't know if Minor Threat took it from someplace else, but I, certainly their use of it 
is what helped to popularize it. And I'm wondering, by the time you discovered, what, the album around 1988, I think you said, the album had come out in 84, was Straight Edge a term already being used four years later? Yeah, okay, so I can I can confirm that Ian MacKay uh, coined that phrase. Okay. Um, he is a bit of a wordsmith. Okay. Um, I, I had the opportunity to hang out with him at length um, at the Minor Threat house, uh, the Discord house, and um, he's got like a huge uh, dictionary like on display. <laughs> I mean, it's the biggest dictionary I've ever seen. And it's just like sitting, you know, out or whatever. But I asked him about that and he said, yeah, you know, like I wanted to um, say like I have my head on straight, but I still have an edge. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, that is clever. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and then it also is like a rule of straight edge or whatever, sure, you know, yeah, so, sure. and they also did that with the, with minor threat, you know, it's, uh, they're minors. Yes. And they're a threat. They're a threat. You know, and their previous band, Teen Idols, Idols is, um, ideally. Spe- yeah. yeah, exactly. So like teens hang around, they're idle, you know, whatever. So he, he's into that kind of thing. Yeah. I feel the same way about, about Bardo. When Bartle came on and he talked about um, Eugene McDaniel's Headless Headless Heroes of the Apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was just a whole, I mean, there was so much that I didn't know about that album. Um, So that was, that's just one of the moments that I was like, well, damn, he dropped some, he dropped some facts in here. It's sort of interesting because for you, it seems like you came into this intersection between music and politics, you know, if not fully formed, you're certainly moving that direction. And one of the things that you and I were talking about before we stepped into the studio is how with with Eugene McDaniels, it was really, you can follow a decade-long path that took him there because when he first got started in the early 1960s as largely a singer-songwriter for pop and jazz, his music was not remotely political. In fact, if we can just take a listen to one of his early hits, this was from, I think, 1961, which so 10 years before Headless Heroes. This is uh, Eugene McDaniels, back when he was just called Gene McDaniels, <laughs> and the song's called Tower of Strength. If I were a tower of strength, I'd walk away, I'd look in your eyes, and here's what I'd say. I don't want you, I don't need you, I don't love you anymore. And then by the mid-60s, McDaniels is shifting gears, and I think a lot of this is in response to the Vietnam War and a lot of other social and and, uh, world events happening in that era, and he ends up penning what would become one of his first real uh, social movement, civil rights era anthems, which is Compared to What, which became a hit for Les McCann and Eddie Harris, I think in 1969 or so. And then really the precursor to Headless Heroes, and this is an album that Morgan, you and I were talking about, was the album that came out one year before Headless Heroes, which was Eugene McDaniel's Outlaw. Mm. And by that time, he had added the EU to his name, but he also called himself on the album cover the Left Rev MCD, which has to be one of the most hip-hop names for the pre-hip-hop <laughs> era I've ever seen before. Uh, and in Outlaw, it includes perhaps, I think is my favorite song by Eugene McDaniel's, which is a song called Cherry Stones. Long as I have my clams, I don't give a damn. 
I'll go next. And I just appreciate being able to do this show with you, Morgan. And what I said earlier about learning things from our guests, I think is doubly, triply true for you. And I think week in, week out, I just never fail to be amazed by the insight that you bring uh, to our episodes on practically any artist or album or genre. Um, you know, you're obviously a very gifted music supervisor, but I also think you're one of the smartest music critics that I know. Um, for one, you absolutely killed the intros. By the time this recording airs, we will be 24 hours past the announcement that Mary J. Blige has been nominated for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. One of four black women alongside Shaka Khan, Dionne Warwick, and Tina Turner to be considered this year. What do they have in common besides excellence and legacy? The fact that their first commercial recordings were all released 25 years ago. But today's heat rock, Mary J. Blige's self-titled John, was released in the last year of the 90s, August 17, 1999, just eight years after her start as a young signee to Uptown Records. And on this album, her fourth studio album, Big Things Abound. Big covers, like hers of Michael Jackson's Can't Help It. Hers of Stevie Wonder's As with George Michael. Hers of First Choice's Scorcher, Let No Man Put Asunder. Big royalty. The queen of hip-hop soul meets the queen of soul on Don't Waste Your Time. Big strides. After well-documented relationship with KC, they reunite for not looking. Big features. Hers with Jada Kiss on a track I love called Like Sexy. And a big-ass deal. Deep Inside with Elton John. Give Me You with Eric Clapton. And of course, All That I Can Say with Lauren Hill. And all that I can say is, I sort of get why the BBC would refer to this album as, quote, widescreen, end quote. To me, these tracks are the needle drops in a film about Miss Blige, a woman on the way to being an icon, a young woman who's become well-known for letting us all know what the 411 is on life in the business, life as a celebrity, as a black girl, a lover. We've come a long way from my life. If you look at my life, you'll see what I see sadness too. Sure, maybe life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough, shouts to Wu. But that's life. It is what it is. And I'm stronger. I'm wiser. I'm better. So much better, shouts to Marvin Sapp. This album is some parts cinema verite with its patented realism, but also some parts rom-com about Mary J. Blige falling in love with herself. It's a journey that carries her over chords, under strings, and around beats, where she is immortalized on the cover art, black and white, where both her beauty and scar share equal space. On Deep Inside, she says, I wish that they could see that I'm just plain old Mary. Yeah, we see you, we feel you, and have determined that plain old Mary is an icon, and this album is a heat rock. However, it's not just your gift with the bars. I think, Morgan, you are also just incredibly knowledgeable. And I loved when you just dropped the science on Kirk Franklin when we had Sam Henshaw on earlier this year. And at the time, um, you know, there was no marriage of hip hop and gospel, not even close. You know, mm. it's mm. not even mm. close. We're, fi we're mm. five years after. Um, you know, hip hop soul. So we're five years after what's the 411. So we're just moving into this hybrid of genres, which happens. And I think he comes out of the gate sort of redefining a genre. And mm. 
um, making gospel music accessible, mainstream, and at the same time making it a, a bop, right? He's relevant because he's sort of the LeBron James of gospel because he's been great on three mm-hmm. teams, God's Property, <laughs> Kirk Franklin's New Nation, right? Kirk I was, I was wondering why you, why you used LeBron, but that makes, that makes a ton of sense now. Three teams, you know, Miami, <laughs> LA, Cleveland, and he's yeah. been great on, on all of them. And not only has he revolutionized gospel music, and we can get into what it sounds like a little bit later, but he humanized sort of, you know, flawed, imperfect Christianity. Mm. Because when you hear Kirk Mm. Franklin, you hear his taste. You know what he's Mm. listening to. You know, Mm. Kirk Franklin's been listening to hip hop. You know what I'm Mm. saying? You know that Kirk Franklin, um, he made, you know, we have this saying, be, be in the world, but not of it. Kirk Franklin mm. may not have been in the world, but his homies were, and he was still cool mm. with them, and that's reflected. So it was sort of aspirational in the sense that in listening to his music, Sam and I grew up in the church, but you felt like you didn't have to be churchy to appreciate it. Like the homies were mm-hmm. bump and stomp, mm-hmm. ain't seen mm-hmm. no, don't know Jesus at all, but could recognize, you know, that that was a bop. And we don't get to Kanye's Jesus is King without Kirk Franklin. Mm-hmm. I just love that Morgan just served us up. A dissertation on Kirk Franklin. And, yeah, and it's, like it's honestly, awesome. the amount of facts that you got there, I can't even like. <laughs> I, 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 that was educational for me, to be fair. At some levels, um, I love it, yeah, Kirk that was Franklin. amazing. So this is not the first time I've said this. It will n- never be the last time. But my favorite part of doing Heat Rocks is doing it with you, Morgan. And with that, let's hear your final appreciation. Well, I appreciate you for uh, for saying all those things. Thank you so much for that and no question um being able to do this show with you is my last appreciation there are a ton of standout moments but a couple come to mind i think the first is your intro of de la soul's three feet high and rising which to me was just so beautiful and eloquent and it made me feel close to you watching you talk about an album that is close to you and i Mm. felt like i learned something about you in that moment i don't know if And as long as I've known you, I don't know that I had ever asked you um, what was the album? What was your sort of gateway drug into hip hop or what what Mm -hmm. sparked that love? So that was something that I didn't know about you until that until that moment. Before Three Feet High and Rising, hip hop was dominated by larger than life superhero MCs. You got your Rock Kims, your LL Cool J's, Big Daddy Kane's, members of NWA and Run DMC. And here came four goofballs from Long Island with day glow colors, wacky album skits, and a treasure trove of samples. In their wake, we collectively reconsidered what hip-hop could sound like and be cerebral and goofy, weird and wondrous. You can still argue about whether this was De La's best album or not, but there's no denying that it was and still is one of the most influential hip-hop heat rocks of all time. Mm. And on a personal note, if I may, when I first heard Three Feet High and Rising, I was between my junior and senior years in high school, and I am not in the least exaggerating when I say that this album changed my life. It was the recording that made me fall in love with hip-hop, and that shift altered my personal and professional life trajectory in immeasurable ways. My career, my family, this podcast, it's quite possible that none of this would exist if not for my faithful listening of Plugs 1, 2, and 3, and a prince named Paul. And I knew I knew that we were about to go somewhere because it was the first time I had ever heard you say, and on a personal note, and I was like, oh, damn. And everything that you said about the album 
um, it made sense, and I felt like I knew you a little bit better um, after mm. that. And it was a great episode anyway. Um, yeah. Two, I'd have to say nonverbal communications um, in the booth. <laughs> Because there's always been a moment where a guest is dropping such fire, like jewels and nuggets, and I'll just look over at you, and the yeah. the look on your face is like, damn, yeah, they are dropping. Even if we've been on Zoom, it's just those looks like, oh my god. And one episode that comes to mind, I think, is um, is when Salam Remy came in and was talking about the Jungle Brothers, straight out the jungle, and his memory of just conversations, mixes, dates, timings. He just blew me away. And I remember at some point I just looked up at you on Zoom and we were just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So I love those. I love those moments. We, we we have said a lot without saying anything to each other. And I think, um, three, just listening to you talk about music in general, but especially about hip hop has always made me feel like I was reading your reviews, your books and your liner notes. And I think you're a historian and an archivist. Um in terms of hip hop, you know, the golden years, the early years, early days. I loved your conversation um, with with David Ma on um, Jesus Liquid Swords. Mm. Um, I just love hearing you talk about, um, I just love hearing you talk about hip hop. I know you know a lot about a lot of things, but um, but that was a great conversation. Oh, thank you. I think also one of the things that really distinguishes Jizza is just the quality of his voice. And mm. I think... If we're talking right. about the Wu, all right, Meth is number one. I mean, just has the best voice. RZA certainly has one of the most distinctive voices, but I would have to give Jizza the number two spot in terms of best voice in the crew. And I think, mm. you know, I think I described it a little bit earlier. There's kind of this authoritativeness to it. Um, Morgan, you were asking, like, what other adjectives, what other nouns, titles can you give to the Jizza besides um, genius? And you know, for some reason, the first thing that popped into my mind is like the judge, because it's like when he speaks, <laughs> there's a kind of a finality to it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And um, right. I, right. I think that's certainly one of the things that that really all the Wu members, most of them had really, really distinctive voices. But just the sheer pleasure mm -hmm. of listening to the Jizz's voice, I think, is a big part of his appeal as well. One only needs to listen to your interview with Vernon Reed. Um, about Hendrix and Band of Gypsies to know. And I think that that conversation was, he had great things to say, but it, w but it was his response to the great questions that you asked about that album. So that was a master class in, in, in music. Well, thank you. That's, I mean, that Vernon Reed uh, Band of Gypsies episode is definitely one of my, my all-time favorites. I think I, I mentioned it on the show before, partly because I also did the, the audio editing on it and um, not to pat myself on the back, I thought I did a phenomenal job. Yeah, with it. you did. You did. Right. This was to be clear. This was in the days before Christian, so it wasn't like uh, I was trying to steal <laughs> steal our boy's thunder or anything. But, um, but yeah, that was that was a great episode. I'm, I'm really glad that you appreciated that. Before we wrap things up here, this is one of those I know impossible questions to answer because it's a counterfactual. But you know, Hendrix obviously died far, far before his time. Um, if he had lived, let's say, at least another 20, 30 years, what directions do you imagine he might have gone in, uh, towards in the 1970s or even you know, into the 1980s? Well, when I speculate about a Jimmy had lived, one, Jimi Hendrix absolutely would have made a record with Miles Davis. He would have, mm. he would have made a record with Miles Davis and maybe mm. a record with Miles Davis along with Rossan Roland Kirk. 
I think that uh, you know he would have moved to Jamaica and hung out with Bob Marley and grown dreadlocks. Um, I think <laughs> I think that he would have done a duet record with Robert Fripp and explored tape loops. I think mm. that he would have gotten together with Jack Bruce and done something with Carla Blay. I think he might have joined up with Buddy Miles and Carlos Santana and really had a mm. party. Um, mm. I think that um, he might have he might have been made a crazy disco record that became a smash hit and nobody understood. You know what I mean? He might have did something <laughs> completely sideways with disco or taken disco sideways. Uh, I think that um, you know he might have did something with the Rolling Stones. I think mm. that mm. Uh, he might have retired and and went into seclusion for a long time and then, you know, hooked up with Stevie Wonder and Malcolm Cecil and done something Ooh. we can't possibly imagine. I think he would have, uh, I think he would have went back to the, the he would have went to the crossroads of Highway 61 and just to see what would have happened if he went. That's what I think. I don't know if you've ever tried to write a screenplay, but I think your first one is right there. It's the <laughs> it's the Imagine Jimmy life. I, I would I would a hundred percent go watch that movie in terms of all of those those <laughs> scenarios that well, you imagine. That was that was fantastic. Well, well, thank you very much. You know, you know, if you get a chance, to, you know, drop that on Janie Hendrix. <laughs> there you go. One more thing I wanted to say is that I also thought that we, over the course of this show, we did a great job of shouting out both radio stations and record stores. Um, we covered a yes. lot of record stores in a lot of neighborhoods and a lot of radio stations. Yeah. And it's pr yeah. that was pr always precious to me because, you know, radio stations had changed and DJs had changed over the years. And, of course, we know what happened to the record store business. So I'm really proud of us. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, before we head out, I wanted to say a couple of things. <laughs> Go for it. I started working on Heat Rocks in mid-2018 or so. Um, I believe my first episode was with Eliza Skinner on the Pretty mm. in Pink soundtrack. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> or maybe it would have been William Onyebor, the Ben Booker episode on William Onyebor. It was a long time ago. It has been such a fun ride to see the show evolve. And um, working on this show has been a really good time. And I can honestly say that we've made a really... Really good podcast. Oliver, <laughs> your insane amount of musical knowledge is just truly astounding. And I am very proud to have worked with you on this show. Morgan, it has been such a joy with you, to work with you as well. Your intros never fail to put a smile on my face. Yep. And <laughs> Oliver has mentioned something similar, but you've taught me so, so, so much about genres of music that I never really gave a fair shake. And honestly, I think this has made me become a better editor like just hearing such like really vivid descriptions of how an album makes a guest feel and like how they love a song what they love specifically about a song and trying to find the part of the song and like making that work within the conversation my brain goes to the conversation we had or jocelyn brown and oliver had with uh jeff parker talking about john coltrane's a love supreme yeah and cutting around him talking about uh, I believe the first suite mm -hmm. and um, editing the song to work with him talking about it. My favorite uh, part of Love Supreme is the first, the first one, Acknowledgement. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, just that iconic introduction, man. With the, I don't even know if it's a gong. It sounds like a gong. I mean, you hear that, and it's just like, yeah. Inarguably, one of the greatest moments in all of music mm-hmm. is that. I mean, you are, it's like a fanfare, you know, you're, it's, it's coming in. I mean, that's like, it's on. Instrumentally, he introduces the theme that they eventually end up singing. You know, they'd sing, you know, I love Supreme. But before that, you know, he plays it, like after he's done improvising, he plays it and he's transposing it, which means, you know, he's moving it around and through different keys. Yeah. And uh, and it's such a conversation between all the members in the band. You can hear, like, he's playing it, and then, like, McCoy Tyner, the pianist, is trying to, like, figure out where he's going with it and you can hear uh jimmy garrison the bass player like he's playing and the whole time elvin jones is playing that groove and it's just like really funky rhythmically just like you can dance to it And um, I, I just wanted to thank everybody who has been working on the show. I wanted to thank my man, Nick Liel. Yes, um, thank you the for, OG. Thank you for launching everything and making sure it all sounds good. Indeed. Thank you Thank you to Kara Hart. Thank you to Shada Deloria. Yes. Thank you to Ernest Hardy. And thank you to Jocelyn Brown. And uh, also follow all of us <laughs> on social media just to keep up with what's going on. Oliver is Oliver S. Wong. Morgan is Radio Morgan Rhodes. And I'm at Butts on a Butt. Um, <laughs> don't ask me. Don't ask me why. Oh, um, Lord. <laughs> and, you know, you know, I might not ever get the chance to do this again. So I just I want to shout out Mars. Thank you for the support. Thank you for the heels. I want to shout out the Onion Boys. And if anyone is wondering, the albums I would have I would have picked are Donuts or Blonde, both of which we have already talked at length. But uh, that's all. That's 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 all I wanted to say. Indeed, indeed, and we also want to thank That's One for blessing yes. us with our oh, uh, with yeah. our with yeah. our theme music. Um, I just want to you know reiterate: this is not meant to be a goodbye episode. I know it has that feel. It's really not <laughs> meant to be. Um, you know, but, but it's a good. It's a bit. It, this is an, an yes. A, Big occasion, you know. It is. It is because we are. A, we're going to be gone for, for yeah for yeah. a minute and uh, yeah and and yeah I I'm, I appreciate you um, you know remembering to shout out our past producers and our guest hosts uh, Thess um, and you know once again you know our audience for supporting us all this time. Morgan, anyone else that you want to th- you, you want to shout out before we wrap this up? Yep, I want to th- I want to shout out my man um, in parking there in the Max Fun building because he always let me park. <laughs> he would always make move the cones so yeah. that I could park really yeah. nice and close, knowing that I wasn't supposed to be in that parking spot. So 
My man with the cones, I sure appreciate you. Thank you so much. Before we jump, as Morgan would say, we are always appreciative of the tweezies and the retweezies. And you all, oh, you all showed us so much love, beginning with Eric Love, who says, nothing but love, out to Oliver and Morgan for producing this national treasure over the past three and a half years. Looking forward to having you back in 2020 and 22. If somehow you are reading this and you haven't tuned into Heat Rocks yet, you are lucky to have nearly 200 episodes to get into. Indeed. I want to shout out Wody LaForge. First of all, I want to shout out um, just the best <laughs> usernames, user handles of our listeners. Wody LaForge, who says, well-deserved. <laughs> the show's been dropping consistently for a few years now. There's plenty of episodes for us to catch up on in the meantime. Grace and peace. I want to shout out Jordan Calling, former Max Fun producer, lover to death. She says, I listened to Heat Rocks to learn more about the old some of the old music I love and to learn about new acts that I can bring up and pretend I've always known about in general conversations. Def gonna miss the show. Thank you so much, Jordan. And we also got a voicemail. Thank you so much for the voicemail. Hey, my name is Sandeep Shahan, longtime listener, first time caller. I just wanted to say that I've enjoyed this show for the last three and a half years. You guys have brought me a lot of fun, a lot of joy, and introduced me to some really great albums and made me rethink some artists that I didn't consider before. While I'm sad that the, the run is ending right now, I'm excited for what lies ahead. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Oliver. Thank you, Christian. And thank you to everybody at Maximum Fun for this amazing ride. Good luck. From April Wolf fellow Max Fun host. Love the show. A fantastic accomplishment with that many episodes. So grateful I got to do one with them on the Bodyguard soundtrack. And I was just thinking about that episode just the other day. So <laughs> very cool. Shout out to April. Also want to shout out Just Marla 724 um, out of Philly uh, who says, well-deserved. What a run thus far. So much content to revisit in the meantime. Mad love and appreciation uh, to the Morgan Rhodes, Oliver Wong and crew. Um, 811 will be all the more special. Wherever y'all go, we shall follow. Thank you, Marla. Shouts out to David Ma, who says, Congrats on a superb run. Far as I'm concerned, one of the best pods ever. Speaking of David, I just want to give a quick side shout because he um, has written the liner notes to the upcoming reissue of To Whom It May Concern by Freestyle Fellowship. And one of our early episodes was with the great photographer, Brian Cross, B-plus, talking about that most you know, seminal of LA hip-hop albums. And it's really cool to see that it's getting a, uh, you know, a, a, full, a full-on uh, reissue, and I'm sure David's liner notes are uh, straight-up fire. So shout-out to Dave for that. Mark Richardson, who says, I'm bummed to see this, really enjoyed this podcast. And can I say, I dreamed of being on it and imagined albums fire tracks, and three-word summaries to talk about. The episode with Vernon Reed talking about Hendrix's Band of Gypsies is one big highlight among many. Thank you, Mark. We have so many others on here. We just, just I mean, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by all the love that people showed us. Um, and like I said, thank you. And or I should say, as Morgan would say, thank you all over the years for your tweezies and retweezies. Indeed. Um, just know that, that you are precious to us. 
Well, that will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks. And as we've said, we'll be taking the rest of the year off. And hopefully by sometime in early 2022, we will be reemerging from our much needed recharge hibernation session. Until then, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. And you've been listening to Heat Rocks. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.